Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cloud and Clear. I'm Joe Costco, Senior Vice President of Sales here at SADA, and I'll be your host today, taking over for Tony Safoyan this week. I'm really excited for today's episode. Our very special guest today is Bill Smith, the Chief Sales Officer at Virtru, who over the 25 years of experience that he has marketing and selling enterprise software technology has a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about the amazing success Virtru has demonstrated over the past eight years as it has revolutionized the email security market, especially as it relates to cloud-based email exchange. Bill, welcome to Cloud and Clear. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. Bill, before we start diving in, can you give our listeners an overview of what Virtue is all about as a company? Absolutely, Joe. Um, Virtue helps organizations, federal um, agencies, large companies, small companies uh, communicate securely uh, in their high-value networks. Uh, and we do this by empowering them to unlock the power of their data while maintaining control of their data everywhere it's stored and shared. Um, we have more than 6,000 customers globally uh, that leverage our data security and privacy protection technology. Let's rewind the clock a little bit, or maybe a lot, as a matter of fact. I'm curious about your extensive background in sales leading up to your decision to lead sales at Virtru, which you started about six months ago. Tell us about your early days at Omdahl Corporation, MicroStrategy. You have a strong background in sales of hardware storage and even mainframes, in addition to business intelligence. So tell us about your do, background. Do you have to remind me of that? Like how old that is and how far we're going back? Is that, is that necessary? Hey, I'm an old guy too. I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm happy to, to talk about that. It was, uh, it was a thrilling time for me. Uh, Amdahl was the first... Uh, competitor to IBM in the mainframe space many, many years ago, um, introducing uh, a different type of technology and uh, introducing uh, storage technology to compete with IBM. It was ultimately acquired by Hitachi, uh, you probably know. Uh, but I, I learned the value the, of what a great product uh, and a differentiated product could do in a marketplace. Uh, Gene Amdahl, who started that company in 1970, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, uh, he was uh, part of IBM for, for 15 years or so, uh, developing mainframe technology. Uh, the technology that was used at the time was a, a water-cooled technology because the mainframes got so hot, they were so big, and they were in these data centers. He came up with this concept of air-cooled. Uh, IBM wasn't too keen to it at the time, so he took a step away, created his own company, uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, did it 200% uh, less of a footprint, a lighter machine, and oh, by the way, charged about 10% uh, less. And so for me, that was a really interesting story just in terms of how to take on the 800-pound gorilla uh, and how something can be differentiated with your product set and then figuring out how the value can be sold uh, associated with that. Um, I think uh, for me, as my career progressed and I went on to sell, sell for uh, MicroStrategy, um, it was much, much different because at that point, it was a startup company. Uh, the product differentiation was there, but it was also at a time where the internet was 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 blowing up. Uh, it was part of the dot-com boom, if you will, and, and that internet bubble. Uh, it, but it was my first interaction with business users. Frankly, I'd spent all my time in the, uh, in the IT shop uh, talking to data center managers, talking to those that were worried about moving throughput, uh, and performance was kind of everything. And, and that transition to the business intelligence space was fascinating for me. 
uh, because I learned the value of, of uh, understanding uh, the business requirements, learned about ROI, learned about uh, channel development to some extent. We competed against strong companies such as Cognos and Hyperion uh, at the time. And so our approach became much more uh, systems integrator related projects that, uh, that the business users themselves could sink their teeth into. And, and we tried to be real clear uh, in terms of our, our value proposition through the channel. And so, um, you know, all those were really solid learnings as a sales rep for me. Yeah, that's a really interesting transition. When, when you think about mainframe and you think about the applications from mainframes, they're very clunky. They're not user-friendly at all. I'm thinking about being at an airport and I feel like the ticketing agent is standing behind a system right? that was developed 40, 50 years ago. And I just want to make a time yep. change on my flight and it seems to take like 15 <laughs> minutes to go through. So, and then, yeah, that was the time when business intelligence started to blow up and you, you quickly transitioned from talking about footprint of the mainframe and the, the cooling aspects that would really, no end user would ever care about anything like that. Uh, to getting into visualization of data in unique ways that those end users prior to those technologies like Cognos and MicroStrategy, end users really never had any tools like that before. So it really opened up a, a new world, I would imagine. What, what, what was that like, <laughs> finally making that transition? You probably was a new... It, it was... Yeah, it was interesting. It was challenging. I mean, the business users in, in general... Um, had to trust what they saw from the IT organization, right? That was what they were programmed to do. And I think when they began to see in a, on a much smaller scale, uh, the type of analytics and intelligence that they could glean from a small database or a small data set that they themselves could own on their laptop. Uh, and, and they could actually pull in, you know, particular sources and integrate that into that little database and then run their own analysis off of it whenever they wanted to. Uh, the timeliness of that, uh, the the new applications that they could apply, uh, the way they could make their customers uh, happy with, with it, it just turned everything on its ear. And so, you know, that was to some extent the beginning of of that analytical time period, uh, late you know late '90s, early 2000s, where that big data stuff became a, a bigger deal. And and yeah, you're right. You know, in comparison to what the IT function owned. They then became much more of a, a supplier of information uh, versus the one that did everything for the business users. You probably saw some aha moments from those business users when they first got a glimpse of what power they would have in their hands or on those laptops. It, it, it was. I mean, and, and at the time, I mean, that also was was parallel with a lot of the telecom uh, you know, explosions that were occurring. And, and so in particular, a lot of the I sold heavily in the mid-Atlantic area to the Beltlandic space, you know, now Verizon, uh, for those of you that don't know that. And, and, and there were a lot of uh, small companies that actually made that up. And, and we would go through and have those conversations um, at the business level and literally uh, in front of us, uh, they'd realize, they'd doubt the, the results. And then once we could prove to them it was coming off of their data and encourage them to just add a data flow in real time while we were doing a demo and they were able to do those kinds of things uh they were they were ready to rock and roll and and find some budget to do something and so it was an interesting it was an interesting time and and i i compare it to obviously what's occurred you know with with these things at the consumer level at this point right where you're now making a decision uh based on applications that you're 110 percent empowered to um but there's there's privacy 
challenges with that, which we'll get around to that in our conversation too. Yeah, absolutely. So as you progress through those roles, you went into more senior sales management roles. What did you learn during those years that helped you refine refine your craft as a senior sales professional? Yeah, I I, I think for me, uh, you know, I went went on to work for a company called Essential Software. There was some terrific uh, sales leadership. Uh, and just management leadership there. We were sold to IBM. And so for me, I kind of got the opportunity to uh, get a blend of startup mentality uh, in the big data space uh, around data integration at Essential and then some really strong, what I would call middle and and upper managers at at IBM. Uh, And I think one of the things I began to learn was just the value of, uh, of transparency uh, and I think the um, the value the value of developing a very specific go to market strategy uh, for a sales organization uh, things that I really hadn't thought much of because uh, I was kind of following a plan. But in particular, when I got to uh, when I got to SyncSort, uh, I was put in charge of uh, uh, the North American team. And as we went through and identified our goals, uh, I think the, a, lot of, a lot of the learnings that I uh, gleamed from IBM assisted me in developing a go-to-market plan that was, you know, multifaceted. Uh, that was for the first time for me uh, data-driven uh, in terms of our existing customers and what kind of expansion activity we should be looking at. Um, it was channel-centric uh, and to some extent, depending on the region, and so I began to learn those type of of skills. Uh, and uh, I think, in particular, transitioning over to uh, to Sonatype. Um, uh, kind of in the 2013 time period, um, uh, we learned uh, how to enable uh, a sales team at a level that I hadn't before. And so there's a lot in there, but I think, you know, in general, uh, for me, it was it was a progression of kind of establishing and understanding the broader go-to-market strategies that need to be implemented. And then, uh, you know, working uh, with cross-functional teams to come up with the right way to approach that as a sales organization. Excellent. And that brings us to current day, your decision about six months ago to join Virtue. Tell us what caught your eye about the company that was much smaller than some of the organizations you had been at previously. Yeah, I, I mean, first off, I, I, I saw similarities to what I had walked through with uh, with Sonatype, which was a security based organization, kind of a cyber focus. Um, but but I think the thing that really jumped out to me was um, uh, that this organization allows uh, large companies, small companies, it does not matter, the ability to unlock the power of data um, and and by allowing them to always have that data under their control was really interesting to me. So there's a ton of use cases in the market today. And um, as we are really seeing is in, as recently as this past weekend uh, with the, with the colonial uh, uh, energy challenge that's occurring uh, on the East Coast, um, there is certain amounts of data that an organization needs to maintain ownership of as it leaves their organization or as they transport it, rather inside or outside of it. Um, I think Virtue's capability um, that to, to enable companies to control that, manage that, and have visibility into that uh, was fascinating to me. I think in particular, based on just the the, the amount of uh, privacy uh, issues that have occurred, I think, in particular, the last two or three years, right? We're somewhat in a societal crisis related to data protection. Um, it's become more of a, a GDP level concern 
Uh, and I think the concept of just restoring public trust is, is just personally interesting to me. So it was, it was uh, an interesting market for me to step into. It's a DC based company, uh, which I like. And once again, back to the data piece, uh, it's a very data centric approach, which I have a history in and I'm comfortable in as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting challenge. Uh, the fact that sharing data and insights is part of its power, but at the same time, large organizations need to control that data, where it resides, who owns it, who has access to it. And it's really critical that you get that security layer just right so that you don't have an issue like what they experienced at Colonial over the weekend. Right. Yeah, and, and I think you know our, our approach is to be able to protect the data, uh, but also be able to confidently share that data. Uh, but the only way you do that is obviously through control, and so it, you you got to do it without impacting the users. And so, you know, the, the, one of the things that we do really well with all of our applications uh, that we allow encryption, control, and audit with our um, uh, is is that capacity. Um, you know, with emails and files in particular. Uh, we we're exceptional with that, and and the the ease of use associated with that is is why we have such wide adoption. It's why you see us uh, within a small business, it might be a a doctor's office or uh, it could be a, a small hospital, uh, as well as very large you know organizations uh, that uh, that are part of the global two thousand and large large federal agencies. And so uh, it really does all come back to that protect, share, and control mentality that we uh, that we put in place. Okay, so let's get deeper into the Virtue story. Can you tell us how it all got started? How did Virtue come to be? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, the company is about nine years old, started in 2012. Uh, two brothers, uh, Will and John Ackerley, uh, and their mission was really around protecting sensitive data. Um, and it began in the intelligence community uh, where Will Ackerley was working. Um, the IC simply lacked a secure framework for protecting and sharing intelligence uh, across diverse networks and, and domains. And so he developed uh, what is called the trusted data format uh, or TDF as we'll call it. And it was the first open standard um, that uh, is really at the center of our entire portfolio of solutions. And so that to some extent was the big idea that launched the company uh, and and we we have that element at the core of, of what what I said previously that allows us to be able to share sensitive data uh, and being able to revoke the rights of that data at any point because you're the data owner and that concept is is established by this concept of the TDF which is um, you know a, a, a basically an attribute based access control system that um, that no one else offers at the level that we do so it protects. Um, data as it travels, no matter how or where uh, the information is, is shared. And so once again, that's at the pillar of everything that we've done. And, you know, the company started um, very slow with, uh, you know, with some smaller organizations to adopt it and understand it. Uh, and over the first uh, four or five years, uh, the company was, uh, the offerings were received very, very well uh, in the small business space in the mid-market uh, of of uh, of enterprises and and uh, began to uh, blossom as well on the federal government side. And so, if you look at the last few years in particular, uh, we've begun to move up market. We've begun to find ourselves in some interesting 
um, uh, international opportunities and federal opportunities. And so we feel like uh, we have something that's grown over time that is clearly a, a global solution that organizations can, can gain trust in, in sharing their data. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. We need more security in our technologies than just about anything, but security products never just, never really seem to be front burner issues until something happens, yeah. you know, like we saw on the East Coast with the pipeline hacking. Uh, how do we get over that? How do, you, how do you get people to think more front and center about security just as important as the rest of their technology environment? First off, the media helps, right? So I, I do think highlighting it at the level that we do. Uh, when you see gas prices go up, there's uh, a personal involvement, you know, for what's going on with Colonial. That's a great example. Um, I think um, uh, I think the biggest thing is is organizations identifying that it's a competitive advantage to securely share sensitive data, um, in particular with their clients and with their partners. I think. That is beginning to occur, and we're seeing that in some of our larger organizations. Uh, clearly, the government and the compliance front uh, is helpful, right? And so if you see through uh, some of the newer compliance elements like the cybersecurity maturity model certification, CMMC, that the Department of Defense has established, um, there's an innovation element there that, uh, that, that if you are going to um, be uh, sharing data, um, you're going to need to comply with that model. And so uh, for, for folks that are exporting data, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge right now. And so I, I think if you look at those two things, um, it becomes uh, pretty apparent that an organization needs to be thoughtful, that, that, that security really should be thought of as part of your infrastructure, uh, especially if you look at the amount of data volumes uh, or the, the, the growth and the increase in data volumes in complexity. It's, it's much, much harder to manage and maintain. It's much more difficult to mine data. Uh, if you don't have a strategy with regards to how you're going to share sensitive data, uh, your ability to expand globally, uh, your ability to enhance your sales effectiveness, a lot of the things that are important to an organization start to fall down. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the bottom line answer is is the bottom line. I think it's it's competition. It's being more competitive than than the two or three large organizations you might be competing with. Um, and I think it's a combination of that and just the compliance pieces that seem to be so prevalent today. What, what are, what's in store for Virtue in the security market? What, what do you expect to see over the next five years? How will the landscape change? How will technology help that? What are your thoughts on what's ahead? Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned the compliance piece. Uh, CMMC is relatively new. I, I see other compliance elements stepping in. Um, I think because privacy itself uh, is such an important uh, element under the administration uh, in the U.S., for instance, uh, you're only going to see more sensitive or sensitivities to it. And I think more compliance that's going to come into place. And so um, I mentioned the growth and the explosion and just data itself. That's not going to stop. And so I I think over the next four or five years, uh, as it pertains to um, just uh, being able to protect the data the way that you want to, uh, to be able to share data with partners, I mentioned, which is such a big one, uh, to be able to share data for compliance reasons with the government itself, uh, that the growth there is only going to, I think, ramp up a necessity for uh, infrastructure plans that include how do I manage my sensitive data? Uh, you know, and there's there's many uh, opportunities out there 
uh, for, for other products uh, to, uh, to help support this in addition to ours. Honestly, we're, we're not everything to everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, we feel like we're really well positioned uh, as those adjustments and changes occur. Tell us about Virtue's special relationship with Google. So the Google partnership was entered into in December of, of formally December of 2020 last year. And, and uh, that was after three years of spending a lot of energy and time with them, in particular around the Google workspace, uh, the Gmail and, and privacy and compliance challenges that they, that they had. So what we offer uh, for workspace and for G Suite um, is your ability to provide end-to-end encryption at a level that Google themselves cannot. Uh, and so we enable a persistent protection uh, for email and attachments, uh, allowing the organizations to maintain control past the Gmail uh, to desktops, to drive, uh, or anywhere else that files are stored. Uh, we automatically enforce the Gmail encryption with uh, data loss prevention. And so we partner with uh, the DLP providers out there to support them on that. Um, and, 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 and the key piece here is maintaining the visibility of, of these protected emails or really anything that is created uh, within our uh, encryption system, being able to, to track it through the data lifecycle, if you will, uh, and streamline and audit the, those workflows. And so um, that relationship uh, has begun to blossom to the point where um, we were just put on the Google Marketplace a few weeks ago. Uh, which is really exciting. Um, and so uh, we'll look to continue that and expand upon that as we develop new technologies going forward. Yeah, I know that Virtue is extremely well known. We sell, SADA does, into uh, lots of states and agencies, a little bit into the federal government. Uh, it's, it's very well known there for email encryption. Uh, but tell us about like data in general, databases in the cloud and data lakes, data warehouses, and how Virtue might play a role in securing that data in the future. Yeah, I, I'd encourage you just to think about them as kind of sources and, and targets. And, and it, you know, wherever there's a source and a target, we have the capacity to uh, encrypt that data, uh, move it into a target, decrypt that, that data, uh, and allow whoever created the data to maintain the visibility onto where that's going and to at any point during that process, process revoke that capability. And so that's important because if you see someone get into, uh, have access to something you don't want them to, you can, you can pull it back, right? Um, there, there are challenges getting into the cloud today, right? People, not everybody trusts Google with access to their data um, because in some areas, Google is even a competitor to them. Right. And so uh, how do you ensure that Google's not going to have access to that data? Um, there's there's requirements tied to compliance with uh, EAR and ITAR data, for instance, in the cloud. How do you uh, comply with that? And those are all things we can we can help with. Um, there's organizations that want exclusive control over uh, their encryption keys to protect their emails. And uh, and we give them that as well. And so. There's a number of use cases in particular as folks move to the cloud um, that we see as, as they migrate that, that they gain value from uh, from Virtue. Excellent. So I'm curious, turning back to sales for just a minute, what are the key differences between selling traditional enterprise software like mainframes and databases and cloud technologies like Virtue? 
Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of everything as old as new again, right? Um, the database was an innovative, you know, element that pulled in disparate systems and feeds into a central uh, location. Uh, I think that's similar with the cloud, but I think the concept of on-prem versus off-prem and control um, puts a huge emphasis on a few elements uh, that are really critical. Um, obviously, reduced cost is one of them. Uh, the flexibility that you get with the cloud, the scalability. Uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities, frankly, to uh, mainframes and databases and, and where I came from with regards to that. But when you look at things like the, the, the lack of a need for a backup plan, which was so necessary with the database and the expense to, uh, to uh, take that into consideration, uh, and data security itself actually can become uh, much, much easier uh, through the cloud and in the cloud. Um, and the other thing I think just with regards to the cloud is you just have such a wide range of options uh, in terms of how to host and where to host that those flexibilities combined with the reduced cost is, is why everyone is going, you know, that direction. And so, uh, you know, we feel like that virtue is a nice consideration uh, for, once again, the, sen the sensitive elements that are going to be moved into the cloud. You know, people should be looking at a technology such as ours. Uh, as they go to do that. And not every workload is that, as you know, um, but from our perspective, we think we're a great solution to uh, to be able to have that conversation. What does success look like for Virtue in the end? Yeah, I, I think we'll continue to uh, evolve uh, in terms of, of that simple element, Joe, of, of the data itself and wherever that data is stored, how can we ensure that um, anything sensitive uh, can be protected? Uh, and, and I think for us, it could evolve outside of certain applications as we do today. I mean, email is our biggest one uh, between what we do with, with Google and with Microsoft, but it's also uh, clearly the applications that exist today like Salesforce that has sensitive data that is automatically triggered throughout an organization that we can help uh, control through our gateway. And, and so um, I think there will be continual other applications on the edge. Uh, as we look at IoT type of capabilities, uh, there's a lot of use cases that begin to open up that aren't necessarily, you know, within the data center or within the cloud kind of, IO, you know, type of, of use cases. Um, so these would be use cases such as the sensor uh, data or sensor uh, information that could be captured, uh, rather it be in a, a battlefield for the army, uh, or it could be related to uh, sensors off of a highway uh, that organizations want to gather information on and understand, but at the same time uh, can't allow that to get into uh, bad actors uh, control. And so uh, for us, uh, we see a real growth curve uh, associated with uh, those other applications and other uses, because we see the TDF once again, uh, being an open architecture, an open framework that can support that, you know. So we've, we've started to see some real interest in the last six months, uh, in particular within the government uh, space, uh, as well as I think some some very innovative, um, you know, satellite organizations that are looking for uh, interesting use cases that they can leverage that data. Uh, so I, I think, you know, as you look at video and, and other things that, that could be tied into that, it starts to open up a whole new, uh, potential for us outside of just traditional uh, email applications or uh, even custom applications that, that organizations today use us for. And so 
as we look to evolve that, uh, as we look to develop that along the way, it comes back to just value. If we can continue to deliver value to our customers, uh, provide value to our, our valued partners, uh, then I think we're going to, you know, we'll be a successful organization. I think it's impossible to say, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, where we're going to be. Um, but we're just going to look every, you know, every single day, every week, every month to try to deliver value to our customers. Bill Smith, Chief Sales Officer at Virtue. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. I know speaking for SADA that we truly appreciate your partnership and the collaboration that you have with us and with Google. And we look forward to a very bright future together with you. Thanks, Joe. It was a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. And I echo uh, the partnership feeling uh, with regards to SADA with Google. Uh, really enjoying it and looking forward to continued success. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.